0: for this morning is from 2nd Corinthians chapter 9 verses 6 to 15. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift this is the word of the lord
1: Thank you, God. would you pray with me God, even to be uh, uncomfortable and warm, but to be in your presence uh, is better to be in the cold. We thank you uh, for your love, your commitment to dwell with us. Each of us needs you in a different way today, but each of us has come in faith with some expectation, and like this, the hymn, we pray, pass uh, by not us, gentle Savior. In Christ's name, Amen. Well, I'm grateful to be with you this morning and uh, encourage you to continue to fan yourself with the Ten Commandments and uh, keep yourself cool, if that's possible, Um, and uh, grateful for the opportunity to be with one of our sister churches this morning. And I want to let you know uh, right off uh, from the beginning here that... um, Duke didn't ask me to come and preach about money, Uh, okay? Uh, At Grace Downtown, we've been going through 2 Corinthians, and um, that particular chapter is for today. And so uh, it seemed to me a good message for all of us to hear the idea of what it means to become more generous people. Now, every year, you read about rankings of the wealthiest people in the world. It's not hard to find them. Oftentimes the same names seem to be at the top. Um, And along with that, you will sometimes find who gives away most of their wealth. Philanthropy. The ones that give the most. And the reason we're concerned about the second one especially is generosity we understand to be a beautiful thing. A noble thing. In fact, the root word in Latin of generosity was to be of noble birth. And then it evolved to be of noble spirit. Then it evolved to be this idea of being uh, noble with your generosity and what you give away. And so all of us, if we were asked, do you desire to be a more generous person? I think we would answer, yeah, that would be a good thing. It would be a beautiful thing. But there's some challenges that we have. Uh, Some of it is the way that the world presents generosity. The view tends to be that the wealthiest people are the most generous people, right? That's why we find these research things together, these standings, where you have uh, listed the richest person and then the ones that give away the most wealth. But this is very different than Jesus' view because Jesus actually lifts up a widow in poverty as the most generous person in the New Testament. You can be the poorest person in this church and be the most generous person in this church. The second thing we run into is, I think, our fears. And that is, if I take the risk to be more generous, will God take care of me? You know, will it it break my finances? And the Corinthians were in this place somewhat. You see, they had promised to give an offering to help believers in Jerusalem who were suffering. And yet they were beginning to sort of backtrack and hold back. So the Apostle Paul writes to them to urge them to follow through on their giving. And all of us have felt this too, right? Where you think, you know, I want to do this, and when the time comes, we, we shrink back. Now, we can use a lot of different motivations for why we'd be generous. There's a lot of studies today about that right? Generosity will, uh, you know, reduce stress. It'll give you a sense of purpose. It'll actually help your physical health. It'll help you live longer. All these different things, but in the end, we got to go deeper than that. We got to have a deeper motivation if we want to become more generous people. And this is what the Apostle Paul gives to the Corinthians and ultimately God gives to you and me this morning. If we want to become generous people, we have to know who God is and what he has done. We have to be able to comprehend if it's going to create generosity. And that's what I want to briefly put before you this morning. What generosity comprehends what it understands, and then what does it create? First of all, what it comprehends. A good uh, friend of mine, a fellow pastor, is in a pastor's group with me. And he also happens to be uh, the person that leads this denomination's retirement and benefits agency. And so uh, a couple years into our pastor retreats together, he said, Listen, I'm bringing my laptop I've got all your financial information, and I want to meet with each one of you in this group. And it was really an act of love. He wanted to sit down with each one of us because he wanted us to comprehend our financial state. I want you to really understand and comprehend where you're at financially. Well, the Apostle Paul is trying to get the Corinthians to see that as well. And the first thing we have to comprehend if we're going to become generous people is that God is a true and real provider. He's a true and real provider. This is what we read. He who supplied seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now, I want us to first notice what that's not saying. What it's not saying. It's not saying, if I give and more and I'm more generous, God will increase my standard of living. And this is a belief that's actually, I would say, pervasive, not in what's known as the health-wealth gospel and the prosperity gospel. I would say the church in general, there's this belief that I if I step out in faith and give, right, you can't outgive God, He is then to give me more, and then my standard of living will rise. But I want you to notice what the text says. It doesn't say he, he who supplies seed to the sower will increase your bank account. It says it will increase your harvest of righteousness. It doesn't say God is to make all cash abound to you, but all grace abound to you. Now maybe the question at this point is, well, doesn't the Bible teach that God will provide for my needs? Absolutely, all over the place. And Jesus taught the most famous about it, right? But what did he ground it in? He grounded it in our sonship. He said, yes, don't worry about what you'll wear and your bodies and those things. Because God will give you lots and lots if you're faithful to him. That's not where he goes. God will provide. So how is it that we can read this text and sort of get that idea? How is it that we go into that place? How is it? Well, we tend to believe that we need money more than mercy, right? We tend to believe that we need an increase of our standard of living, then we have grace. I mean, it'd be an interesting question uh, if, you know, know, uh, a genie in a bottle showed up to you and said, okay, well, let's make it an angel. That's more holy, right? (laughs) Angel shows up and says... uh, you know, your prayers uh, have been heard. You can either have an increase in your standard of living or an increase in grace. Hmm. You might say, "Well, you know, I already have grace." I mean, yeah, I know. I'm. I know God has forgiven me. I know. I know. I'm. You know. I know. I belong to Him, and He loves me. I, I know that stuff. I don't need an increase in that understanding. What I really need is an increase in my standard of living. Then I would be a happier person. It's a heart issue. This is where Paul directs us, right? This is why he talks to the Corinthians about a reluctant heart or a cheerless heart. And this is where Jesus went, where he said, don't lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, right? Right? Where moth and rust destroy, but that he says, but lay up for yourselves treasures is in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Right? It's the area of the heart. I was taking a walk with a friend of mine last week, and uh, he, uh, we were talking about things that people sort of get into and and really like to value. And he said, you know, my wife got me this watch. I'm not a big watch person, but when we got married, she bought me this watch, so I wear it, I appreciate it. But she said, he said, in that I've discovered there's this whole cult of watch connoisseurs. He said, strangers will come up to me on the street, people I never met and go, excuse me, that watch. And they'll talk to me for 10 or 15 minutes, right? It's what they value, it's what's in their heart. And all of us tend that way. We have these things that we fixate and value on and God is trying to shift it and go, Oh, I so long for it to be my son. I so long for it to be the grace and the riches of mercy I've given to you. And this is what Paul says just a chapter earlier. For you know the grace demonstrated by our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor for your sake so that by his poverty you might become rich. The gospel's good news is the wealthiest person that ever lived gave up everything for you. Everything for you. Not just 30% or 45%, but 100%. To people that are morally and spiritually bankrupt. One of the themes that Paul develops with the Corinthians early on, and and in this passage we see it, is he's saying, uh, the Greek is this idea of don't be tight-fisted or hard-hearted. Now, for for you, maybe it's not money. Maybe it's you find yourself tight-fisted with your time or your forgiveness or your gratitude. But the bottom line for all of us, if God kept an account of sin we'd all be bankrupt. And so the gospel comes to those that are poor, naked, and miserable and blind and says, what I will give you is rich mercy, abounding grace, and the treasure of my son. The gospel teaches that the son, the rich son, the glorious son, the one of whom the angels say, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor. That one came to take your entire deficit before God. He became at a total loss for you. You see, what's really going on here is uh, what Jesus seeks to persuade us of when he says don't be anxious about money and stuff like that. What does he say? Don't you know how valued you are? Don't you know how much the Father values you? That's why I came. The one of greatest value came for you. He has given freely to the poor. We're reminded of the Advent hymn, All for love's sake became as poor. Thou who was rich beyond all splendor. All for love's sake became poor. As you and I comprehend that, we become more generous people. We're set free from this idea that Um, God, it's this match where I'm constantly needing more and you're not giving enough. And here's the thing about it, right? There are studies that have said that, you know, um, there's sort of an optimal amount of wealth and if you hit, people would sort of rest at it. But they don't, right? Maybe you've had the blessing in your life to have your standard of living rise. Are you less worried? Yeah. I haven't been when it's happened to me. And so God longs for us to comprehend this. But let me close out with how that then begins to create wealth, right? We talk about wealth creation. Paul says, for those that actually um, receive this abounding grace and mercy, and this was what it's about. Can you understand? Uh, And he's really challenging us. In many ways, he's saying to the Corinthians, and and this is kind of radical because I would say as Christians, we tend to evaluate the genuineness of our faith, the sincerity of our faith lots of ways, by how much I pray, if I worship, if I serve, if I'm obedient. How many of us judge it by our bank statement and our generosity and what we give? I mean, I, I don't do that often. But Paul seems to be saying, I want you to see that your impulse here has a lot to say with how you're comprehending God's love for you and the grace of God for you. If you are not a generous person, you don't understand the gospel. If you're not a generous person, you don't understand the grace of God. But if we do, wonderful things begin to happen. He says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Enriched in every way to be generous in every way. And there are a couple ways this value expresses itself. First of all, it creates value in other people. There's nothing more precious, right, than to take someone who uh, is in a place of need and see them valued and become more valued. Right? He's encouraging the Corinthians, can you see your brothers and sisters in Jerusalem in their need, and will you value them at such a place that you would give because of your care, right? One of the signs that we're living well is we tend to value more the people in our lives. Are you valuing your brothers and sisters more? Do you value your spouse more the longer you're married? Do you value your neighbors more the more you live next to them? A sign that you're living well is the longer you live with someone, their value increases. And so, he is saying the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. This thing will happen. Will they actually, people will, here's a good selfish mode of forgiving. People will like and pray for you more. Right, he's saying that actually the result of people that receive your generation will long for you more and pray and give thanks to God. You will create the word he actually uses here is ministry, ministry of worship. You can create ministry in the lives of people. The hardest thing to do, and I, I see this right, we all see it. Um, the more you, the more you begin to value and long people, the long, the more you desire them to have the ministry of grace and Christ in their life. The more you desire. And one of the ways that we do that is through our generosity to them. It imparts the gospel to them in in a way that potentially can create longing and prayer and obedience and all these things. This is what he says... For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, it's meeting a need. But it does more than that. It creates, he says, an overflow in thanksgiving. By their approval of this service, of you giving, they will glorify God because of your submission to God. So, right, one of the things that happens... I, I say, like, one of the things that we hunger for more. It's a, it's, a, it's a good sign of your faith, is you long to see other people's faith grow. Right? When you see their faith, it just rejuvenates you. It fills your tank. It makes you believe more. It makes you hope more. You long to see that work. And that's the work that you and I get to do. We get to, to co-labor with Jesus in the spiritual life of someone through our generosity. So, um, another reference to a Christmas in uh, August. Uh, some of you may have seen the old, old black and white movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Okay, if you haven't, I mean, it's, you know, it's an old, old sort of one that shows up on television all the time. And, um, you know, it's... It's got plenty of shortcomings you can talk about, but I'm going to just stick to the theme here, right? Jimmy Stewart plays this uh, guy who loves his town and loves his neighbors, and he's really trying to defend them against an old, cranky, rich guy who wants to just own the town and take it. But here's the thing. The more he tries to help, the more his life just goes down the tubes, it doesn't seem to be working. Like, where's the right harvest, God? I'm putting in my two cents. Why aren't you giving more? And he eventually gets to a point of depression. And if you feel like, well, why are you spoiling it? I mean, the film is like 80 years old. So I, I'm just going to say it. But, you know, he jumps off a bridge, but he's saved. An angel saves him. And this is where, you know, the theology gets really bad. But the point is, it's the angel saves him and uh you know, so he, he ends up like coming to his senses in life. He'd been rotten to his family, returns home. But the climactic moment is when the whole town begins to flood into his house with their coins and their dollars and their money. Because they feel, they hear he's in need. They hear he's in need and they, and they just pour and give. And it's this beautiful way that giving should work. Right? It's like generosity of love. It's a picture of the gospel. And let's pray that God helps us to lean into it and to love it and to live it. God, we thank you for your inexpressible gift in Jesus. I thank you for the generosity of this congregation. Uh, the love, the time. The acts of service, the generous words of encouragement, the money. Oh, Lord, but we long to, as Paul says to Corinthians, excel in the gifts, but excel also in grace. Excel in giving. Oh, set us free, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, well, one of the ways that God shows us his generosity is he lays a feast before us. Well, you might say, is that a feast? Well, it really doesn't mean much to you. It won't. And this is one of the reasons I'll say if if you're someone that is just looking into the Christian faith, why, you know, why you're encouraged not to take this yet, because it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't look like much. The bread and wine aren't much. It's what it represents. It represents the self-giving of God for you, right? The blood, the wine, the bread, the body. The generosity of God given for you. And as we take it in, in faith, and believe on that gospel, He will work in our hearts. He promises to. So let's pray He does that. God, we're so grateful. We can't imagine we will join the angels on our faces going, worthy, worthy is the lamb who was slain. We pray that you would um, strengthen us, each of us in your own way. um, Fill our hearts. Let us feel valued as we take this. In Christ's name, amen.